Good evening. I am certainly honored to be here with you tonight. I hope that uh, you're ready to study a little bit of God's Word. We've had some wonderful singing. It's just been inspiring to sing about the battle belonging to the Lord. I hope you believe that. I believe that. I believe that's true, that all the battles we face in this world belong to the Lord. You know, we're going to talk a little bit tonight about how to make wise family decisions. But I want you to know as we get involved in this discussion that these, this plan or this ability that's laid out in Scripture, this teaching, to help you and I know how to be wise and make wise decisions doesn't just apply to a family. But we want to focus on families. We've got a lot of young families here. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And decisions that you make now as a young family are going to affect the outcomes, not just of your lives and your children's lives, but maybe grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. You can have a tremendous long impact on the lives of people who will come after you by the decisions that you make. Now, a little bit of disclaimer when we get into this verse. It says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. My family tries to make wise decisions. But if you know us very well, I'm going to tell you sometimes we don't make the best decisions. But we try to. And I'm going to show you tonight, we're going to study and consider what the Bible says about how to make wise decisions. Solomon said it's the principal thing. Do you know what that means? That means it's the most important thing to be wise. Now, obviously Solomon would think that because he was the wisest man that ever lived. And he would see great value in wisdom. But the reason that wisdom is so important is because wisdom is how we make the decisions that we make in our lives. I want to show you a chart here. You've got choices that you make in your life. And all these choices that you make are based on choices that you made, which were based on choices that were made before, which was based on choices that were made before. And when you make a bad choice or a bad decision, look what's going to happen to that whole thing. You pull one of those decisions out. You see, when you choose a path, you're not just choosing that path, but you're choosing the destination to that path, you see? You're choosing where that path leads. When you make a decision that governs something that you're going to do, a behavior that you choose in your life today, what you're really choosing are the consequences of that decision. Let me give you an example of that. Just suppose that tomorrow night, instead of coming here, I decide to go to a bar. And I decide that I'm just going to drink a little bit. And I get to the bar and I begin to drink and I drink a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Next thing you know, I'm just stark raving drunk. And I go out and I get in the car and I head down the driveway. By the way, don't do this. <laughs> I head down the driveway and I have a car wreck. And I kill a mom and two little children. You know, that happened in Dallas not very long ago. Mom and two little children killed. Because somebody went and got drunk and got behind the wheel of a car and drove. 
Now, did I choose to kill that mom and those two little kids if I did that? In that scenario, did I choose to do that? You might say, well, no, I didn't, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. But you know, when I chose the path, I chose the destination, didn't I? I'm responsible for what happened to them if I chose that path. Now you see, all of life, especially as a mom and dad, as a young family, decisions that you make are going to set the tone and have an influence on people for generations to come. You can have a huge, huge impact based on the decisions that you make. That's why I believe Solomon understood that wisdom is the principal thing. Now, as we get into this, I want to mention to you a couple of things that I see a lot in the world today about unbiblical ways that people make decisions. Let's say you have a decision to make. How are you going to decide what school to go to if you're a young person you want to go off to college? Or how are you going to decide whether to take this job and move to a different community or a different town or not? One of the things that you hear a lot, especially in the uh, Christian world today of, of America, is that, well, we're just praying for peace in our decision. Have you ever heard anybody say something like that? We're just praying that God will give us peace about the right decision. Uh, many of you know that we've homeschooled our children. I don't think that's necessarily the right decision for everyone, but it worked for us. And we're part of a Christian homeschool association. And I got an email a while back from some of the people on one of the committees at our Christian Homeschool Association, and they needed to make a decision about what facility they were going to rent for us to have the homeschool graduation in. And the email went something like this, our committee is really struggling to make a wise and godly decision, and we ask that you will pray that God will guide us to the right decision through an inner peace so that we'll know that we're in the place that God wants us to be for this graduation. Now listen, I'm not making fun of somebody who wants to make a good decision. That's important to try to make good decisions. But did you know not one time ever in the Bible did God guide anyone to make a decision based on inner peace? He didn't do it. God never guided anyone to make decisions that way. In fact, did you know that when the Mormons knock on your door, one of the things they're going to tell you, and I've been told by a bunch of them this, they say, you need to pray and ask God to just give you peace about whether or not what we're telling you is true. You've heard it, haven't you, Craig? Well, you see, there's a problem with that. Sometimes I have peace over things that I'm not right on, and sometimes I don't have peace over things I am right on. Sometimes I may get a bad piece of pizza or a bad cup of coffee, and I don't have peace over something that's nothing wrong with. You see, it's a subjective thing. Another mistake that people make is being guided by our emotions or our desires. Every one of us at some point or another has made some decision because that's really what we wanted, but we figured out a way to justify that we really needed it. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody here ever done that? Yes, you have. I have too. 
Scripture says every way of a man's right in his own eyes. I can figure out why I really need a new computer. <laughs> it, it'll help my church work. I'll be so much more efficient. And effect, I can figure out why I need to spend that money. I may not need to spend that money. If I'm driven or guided by my own emotions, and if I feel right or feel good about a decision, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good or right decision. How many people have we known who felt right about marrying somebody that was no good? Good feelings don't make good decisions. Another thing that guides people a lot of times are circumstances. People say, well, you know, when that happened, we just knew that's what God wanted us to do. I've been told that a thousand times. I'm sure you probably have too. So he says, now wait a minute. Do you, you don't think God uses circumstances? Oh yes, I, I do. I believe God uses circumstances. I believe I can tell by the circumstances of my life that God does not want me to be emperor of China. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the case because there's no way that's going to happen. But you know who else can use circumstances? The devil can use circumstances. Let me give you an example. Let's suppose you decide, you've really been praying and thinking you want to serve God, and you decide you want to be a missionary, and you want to go to a foreign country to do some mission work, some evangelistic work in a foreign country. Let's just say that it's Nigeria. That'd be a good place to go. And so you try, you go and you get your passport, and you apply for a visa, and you wait, and you pray, and back comes the answer, and you've been turned down for that visa. What does that mean? Does that mean that God doesn't want you to go to Nigeria? Does that mean God doesn't want you to be a missionary? Does that mean that God wants you to be a missionary, but go to India instead of Nigeria? Does that mean that God is testing you to see if you'll really do what He's put on your heart even though there are obstacles? What does that mean? Well, the truth is you can't know what it means. I believe we can see in stories in Scripture like the story of Joseph and some others that God at times does use circumstances. But the truth is, we as humans can't see what the end result of these things are, so we can't make decisions based on circumstances. Nobody in Scripture ever did that. The problem with all of these is they are subjective. You know what subjective means as opposed to objective? Subjective means that it's based on a whim or circumstantial situation. Objective is something that doesn't change. Okay? Is the sound of music, is that a good movie? Now some of you are going to say, yeah, I see some, and I see a couple of people going, <laughs> I thought it was a good movie the first 40 times we watched it at my house. That's subjective, it's just opinion. Is 2 plus 2, 4? Well now that's a little different. I'm looking, I didn't see anybody shaking their head no on that one. Because that's objective, you see. So, let's get on into talking about what God's decision-making process is. In Scripture, 
we find that any time a decision was made, there were some constants involved. And a constant is something that doesn't change. Pi is 3.14159. That's a number. That number pi never changes. It's always the same. A variable, on the other hand, is something that does change. Okay? So in every situation, in every decision that you have to make, there are going to be some things that are constant about your life that should never ever change regardless of the circumstance. And then there are other things that are variables and when you put those together, you end up with a godly decision and that I believe is what Scripture is talking about when it discusses wisdom. Now let's begin to look at some of these constants in our lives. The first constant I want to mention to you tonight is God has set up an order of priorities. You know what I mean by priorities? One thing's more important than other things. God set up an order of priorities, and it's, it's a scriptural order of priorities, and it looks like this. God, your family, other people, and then everything else. In that order. And every time you find in Scripture some discussion of priorities, they always come down to this. God is number one. Your relationship to God should be the single most important thing in your life. More important than your relationship with your husband or your wife. More important than your relationship with your children or your parents or your boss or your friends. Next would come family. Your relationship to your wife is more important than golf. It's more important than fantasy football or whatever else it is you might enjoy doing. Your relationship to your children is more important than your hobbies or your job. Have you ever known anyone that put their job in front of their family? You ever known anybody that did that? How'd that work out for them? Not too good. Because you see, God has an order of priorities that He has laid out in Scripture. In Ecclesiastes 12, He says that the most important thing for you and I to do is to fear God and keep His commandments. Because God's going to bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. Everything you ever do, God's going to judge you on. That's the most important thing in the world. You need to set your priorities right. Where I live, in Dallas, you know what the most important priority to most people seems to be? Sports. Is that important to people out here? Can I get some head nods, yes or no? It's pretty important around here too, huh? I mean, parents will do anything to get that kid a scholarship. They want them to play Division I ball. And whatever it takes, if we have to hire a videographer while they're young, if we have to miss every church service from the time they're five years old till the time they graduate high school, whatever it takes, that's what we're going to do because my kid's good. And sports is the most important thing in the world to them. That's just wrong. Recently, we had a situation with my daughter Jerrica in a school play, and they wanted to have school play practice on Wednesday night. And Carrie and I said, we're not going to do that. 
And there was some discussion about that. And ultimately, Jerrica was barred from being a part of the play because she wouldn't go and sign a paper that said she would skip church to go be in this play. And, and I was talking to some of the powers that be in this discussion. And one of the ladies, she said, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I just have to ask you, it's just one Wednesday night. What's the big deal? It's a good question. What's the big deal? And my answer to her was, you know what? In our home, we've set some priorities. And if I say, well, it's just one Wednesday night for play practice, well, there's just one Wednesday night for the end of the year volleyball party, and there's just one Wednesday night for this, and one Wednesday night for that, and one Wednesday night for another. And you know what we've done is... We've set our priorities. When we come to make a decision, priorities is a constant. It doesn't change. And so when I have to choose between one thing or another, the first thing I check is my priorities and whether they're in the order that God has designed for them to be in. Second thing, and this seems almost too simple to say, but does the Bible say anything about this decision? You know, the Bible says a lot about a lot of things. The Bible teaches us, husbands and wives and children and parents, about our relationships with one another and how to teach and what to do. Does the Bible say anything about it? Jesus said this. He said, if you hear my sayings, Matthew chapter 7, and do them, I'll liken you to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. But if you hear what I tell you and you don't do it, I'm going to liken you to a fool who builds his house on the sand. And then he goes ahead and describes the storms that come. And he says these storms are going to come. And when they come, they're going to shake both houses. And rain's going to fall on both houses. You know when it rains, it rains on everybody's house, doesn't it? And he said if your house is built on a rock, it's going to stand. That's wise. Jesus said, I'll call you wise if you do that. If He doesn't, if you build on the sand, your house is going to fall, and I'll call you foolish. Ask yourself, does the Bible say anything about this? You might say, well, I, you know, I don't know about, about a lot of stuff. I don't know how to find that in the Bible. You've got elders in the congregation here. Go talk to them. It's their responsibility to be able to help you. You know other wise Christians. Go get some counsel and some advice. Get you a concordance, and if you don't know how to use it, if you'll holler at me before the week's over, I'll show you and make sure you know how to use a concordance. You'd be amazed what God's Word talks about if you're not familiar with it. Learn the things that God has to say. Parents, let me throw one especially in your lap about this. How do you discipline your kids? Do you? There's tough decisions. You know, I've got three daughters who two are already grown and out of school. One's almost out of school, but I've got a 12-year-old son. And he brings some challenges into my life, D. He just does. And sometimes there's not an easy answer you know how you learn to make good decisions about parenting children? You read the book of Proverbs and you study about what God says about disciplining your kids. And you do that. 
And when you do that, guess what happens? Normally you turn out with pretty decent kids. God has told us many, many things. The Scriptures say, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now we've got some dots in there because I didn't have room to put them all up here. He says these inspired Scriptures are profitable for doctrine, that's teaching. Reproof, that's convicting you when you do wrong. Correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Everything you need to know about running a home and a family, which, by the way, was God's idea. Everything you need to know about that you can find in the Word of God. That's a constant. That can never, ever change. Just like your priorities can't change, it can never change that if God said something, that's what we got to do. No matter what, that's what we got to do. The next constant I want to mention is what do your authorities tell you? And by authorities here, there are four realms of authority you find in Scripture. And we don't have time to develop all these tonight, but they're the church, and the elders are the authority in the church under Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is authority over all, but the elders in the church are the authority. In the home, it's the man, it's the father, it's the husband. At work, it's the boss, the employer, the master, as he's called in the New Testament. And in the, the rest of life, it's the civil government. And there are passages, we don't have time to go into all of them tonight, but there are passages that command you as a Christian to obey your elders if you're a member of a church. There are passages that command you as a wife or as children to obey the father and the husband in the home. There are passages that command you as an employee to do what your boss tells you to do, even if he's cranky about it. And there are passages in Scripture that tell you and I to obey the laws of the land. And if you'd like those passages, you can talk to me later and I can show you where they are. God commands us to obey our authorities. If you have a question, an issue that's difficult in your life, go ask your elders. They can help you. If you're a child, go ask your parents. They can help you. You know, used to when I would travel around and talk, I don't get this question much anymore, but used to, everywhere I went, the young people wanted to ask me, well, what about dancing? Is dancing okay? You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but my mom and dad say that I'm not supposed to. Well, there's your answer right there. God says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Now, whether or not it's sinful to move your body in rhythm to music, it's sinful to disobey your parents. And God's given you parents. He's given you elders. He's given you a boss. He's given us a government to provide and protect us. To provide for us and to protect us. So that's a constant. When you have a question or an issue or a decision in your life, number one, make sure your priorities are right. Number two, go look at the Bible and see if the Bible says anything about it that you can find. Number three, go ask your authorities. Ask those who are responsible for you in that area of your life. Now I want to talk just a little bit about some variables. Things that change based on the circumstance. 
It's important when you go to deal with variables that you have or get perspective. Now the Scriptures talk about perspective. And we're going to look at a couple of verses here in a minute, but part of perspective is that you need to know before you get in a situation what God wants you to do in that situation. Let me give you an example of that. When you begin to date and you're looking for a spouse, for somebody to marry. Don't date somebody that's not a godly person. I say, well, we're just dating to have fun, you know. You know why I would tell you don't date somebody that's not a godly person? Because you're going to marry somebody you date. Always happens. You don't, unless you mail order bride something. Well, you're not going to marry somebody that you don't date. If you date people that aren't marriageable partners or aren't the kind of people that are going to give you a godly life, you're likely to end up head over heels in love with somebody. And I'll tell you, then it's hard to walk away because you've lost your perspective. You're down on the field and you're in the midst of everything that's going on. What you need to do is you need to back up and get away from the situation. And before you go in, you need to have a game plan you need to get some perspective. <clears throat> Scripture tells us about that in the book of James. He says, don't say tomorrow I'm going to go into a city and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you do not know what's going to be on the morrow. Instead say, if the Lord wills, I'll live and go into the city and buy and sell and get gain. You know, that verse doesn't mean don't make plans. That verse means when you make plans, don't be so arrogant that you think your plans are going to carry the day because God may have different plans for you. You may not live tomorrow. This may be the end of your life today. So make, make your plans, but realize that all your plans are contingent on God. And have some perspective when you go into that situation. Don't be arrogant in your own plans. Well, it's just my life's going to turn out this way because that's the way I've planned it and I'm going to work my plan. It just doesn't happen that way. You remember the story of Joseph? Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave. He was taken down, worked for, worked for Potiphar, and his wife was an evil old woman and she lied about him and he ended up in prison. And Do you think he would have planned his life out that way? Not a chance. But God was in control even above the plans that He had. You need to remember that when you're making a decision. You need a game plan. Secondly, sometimes you need to leave the field. And I've compared this to sports because we think a lot about sports in our culture today. You know, when, when you're playing a ball game, a lot of times... With, if you'll watch the games they show on TV, especially football games, there'll be a coach that's up in a, in a glass booth a long way from the game, and he's just sitting up there by himself away from everybody watching what's going on, on the game or in the game. When you do that, you can have a better perspective on what's going on in your life. Now, how do we as Christians do that? I believe the way we as Christians do that is the way Jesus did that. Jesus Christ... When he was spent time with people, you know, there were always droves of people around him and people asking questions and people to be healed and all this. You know what over and over you read in the Gospels Jesus did? 
Jesus would arise early in the morning and go off and be by himself and talk to the Father. Now, my kids are a little bit older now, and I know when kids are young, like this precious young lady here, your life can be hectic. It can. Terrible hectic. You need some time to step back and talk to God. You need to be able to think about your life and about the decisions and the choices you're making. One of the variables, God doesn't say, thou shalt arise 15 minutes early every morning and go off in a closet. God doesn't say that in the Bible. But we do see the example that Jesus took time away. And that will help you be wise. It will help you make good decisions and have perspective if you will get away from, from the hub, hubbub that goes on in your life. Thirdly, you need to keep your eye on the goal. Colossians chapter 3 says this, Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. When you're raising children, there's going to be a lot of this. Raising children is more like driving a car down the road. You know, you're always going to have to make corrections. And, and you've got to keep your eye on the goal. You've got to know where you're headed. What's your job? When you're raising, we've got so many beautiful young kids here tonight. What's your job raising them? Is your goal to have a Division I ball player? It's the wrong goal. What's your goal? Set your mind on things above. Your goal is to have godly children who will have a godly impact on the world, right? So that they'll influence other people to serve and love God. So they'll be a blessing to the world that they live in. You set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. You've got to keep that goal in mind. You've got to look, look at it and think about it. You know, we've already noticed the Scripture in this meeting where Moses told the children of Israel, he said, I want you to take My Word and hide it in your heart and I want you to talk to your children about it every day when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night and when you live your... You know, I can recall one time when I was a young man and my father, we had a TV show on. I think it was Phil Donahue. Do you all remember Phil Donahue? He was Oprah before Oprah came along. And he was, had some feminist on there and she was talking about how she had it all. She was living this life and making big bucks and all. And, and somebody asked her about her kids. And she made the comment, she said this, she said, well, she said, I don't spend a lot of time with my kids. I don't spend quantity time with my kids, but I spend quality time with my kids. Now, we were, my dad and I were doing something in the house, and we were walking through the room about the time that came on, and dad stopped and watched it for a minute, and he said, ah, oh, piffle, <laughs> and walked on. And as we got on, I said, what do you mean piffle? He said, Michael, if the only time you spend with your kids is this long, you're going to spend that time making sure they have lunch money and making sure they've got the right clothes and making sure the right papers are signed. You don't have time for quality time if you don't spend quantity time with your kids. That's just true. I've learned that. You know when your kids are going to ask you the questions is when you're driving them to school 
And you go, well, I don't really have time for that right now. You've got to spend time. You've got to have that as the priority. And yes, it's going to get in your way. You're not going to be able to play 18 holes of golf every Saturday. You just can't. I'm not picking on golf more than anything else. But you just can't do those things when your eye is on the goal. Keep your eye on the goal that God sets for you with your children. Second thing I want to mention about variables is wisdom. Wisdom is learning to see life from God's point of view. Scripture tells us, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. Do you need wisdom? That's what we're talking about in this lesson. Ask God. Talk to God. Ask Him to give you wisdom. Now, this isn't knowledge, but it's wisdom. And God has promised He will give you wisdom. He'll make you wise. And he'll do it through the avenues that we've been talking about so far. God wants you to go and have wisdom. The Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there's much wisdom. Young people, find parents who are old enough that they've raised some good kids and go talk to them. Say, you know what my kid's doing? <laughs> they're not going to laugh at you. Well, they might laugh a little bit, but they're not going to put you down or think bad of you. They know. They've been there. They've done that. They had kids that did the knuckle-headed things your kids are doing. Some of them made mistakes in dealing with it. And they'll probably shed a tear and tell you about the mistakes they've made and warn you about those mistakes. Seek godly counsel. Build relationships with men and women of God that will tell you good things, righteous, godly things. I had a friend. Marriage was in disarray. His wife had been unfaithful. A very difficult situation. After it was all over, years later, he came to me one day and he said, Michael, you're the only person I knew, the only one who encouraged me to try to save my home. I want you to know that's sad. This young man wasn't surrounded with godly people. You need to surround yourself with people when you're in the jam and you're in a spot and you're about to make a bad decision that are going to stick their nose in your life and go, hey, hey, hey. Don't do this. You're going to regret it. God has surrounded us in this congregation and wherever you're from. You've got godly people around you. Build those relationships so you can enjoy the blessing of a multitude of counselors. The last thing I want to talk about is perseverance. You've got to realize it's not over till it's over. How many ball games have we seen that we thought it was all over and I thought the Rangers for sure were going to win the World Series in 2011 and it just didn't happen. All they needed was one out twice and they lost it. It's just not over till it's over. And don't ever get so disgusted or so concerned or upset about your home or your family that you just throw your hands up and walk away and say, I'm done. 
don't do that. I want to tell you, to my shame, I got upset with my son. Young boys can be frustrating, as you know. And I got so upset with him, I said, you know what, I'm just done. And I walked away. I couldn't have hurt him anymore if I'd have beat him with a rod. And I've been so ashamed of that. And I've asked his forgiveness and I've prayed about it. As a parent, you're going to mess up. You're going to fail. You're going to do things that... You, you know one thing they don't tell you when you have kids is that part of the gig is regret. But it's there. You're going to have regret for bad decisions you make. Just don't quit. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. Don't ever say you're done. Don't ever say you're finished. Because you're not. As long as there's life, there's hope. I'm so grateful that God gave me a chance to make up with my son and to ask his forgiveness and to straighten that out. Don't ever think that it's too late it can't be saved. Because it can. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't you ever quit. Because someday, if you'll just stay faithful and do what's right, you'll reap. That's a promise from God. If you don't faint and you don't quit. Secondly, there will be good times and there will be bad times. You know, I used to think life was like hills. There's hills and there's valleys and there's hills and there's valleys. There's good times and bad times. I don't believe that anymore. You know what I believe now? I believe now that the good and the bad are like the two tracks of a railway. Railroad tracks. There's always some good and there's always some bad going on. And you've got a track of good and you've got a track of bad and it's just always going to be there. Now there's going to be some times that are more challenging and difficult than others. There are. But there's always going to be good and there's always going to be bad. Don't let that discourage you. Don't let that bad take your focus away from what the goal is. Remember that you've been warned and you've been told that there's going to be good and bad. And run with patience the race. Hebrews 12 tells us to run with patience the race that is set before us. My wife right now is doing couch to 5K. Have any of y'all ever heard of couch to 5K? That's when you're an old blubber like me and you sit on the couch all the time. You want to run a 5K, which is 3.1 miles. If, you just, if I were to get up and try to do that, I would die. I would be dead. But this is a program to help you do that bit by bit by bit. That's what life is like. You've got to run the race with patience. You've just got to keep running. And you've got to keep running. And you've got to keep running. Now the truth is, because my wife is doing that and I'm not, come October whenever this 5K is, guess who's going to run it and guess who's not? Because she's running with patience the race that's set before her. You as a husband or a wife, at some point you are likely to get to the point where you say, I've got no more to give. 
Get up and give a little more. Run with patience that race that is set before you. It's a noble, godly calling. God can work through bad decisions. I want you to know that's true also. When you're being patient and you're persevering and you're hanging on, realize that even if some of the decisions you make have been bad decisions, God can make good come out of them, can't He? He has. He has many times in Scripture. Do you remember a guy in the Bible named Jonah? God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to those people. Instead, he went and got on a ship and headed the other direction. That was intentional disobedience. That was a bad decision. He ended up in the belly of a fish down at the bottom of a big puddle of water for three days and three nights. But you know, when he was on that boat, you know what Scripture tells us? All these pagan men on this boat, these sailors, were afraid and they were all praying to their gods and and trying to get their God to stop the storm and none of it was working. And he said, guys, it's me. I'm running from Jehovah, the real God. And he's not happy about it, so you're going to have to throw me in the water. And they didn't want to do that. But they did, finally. As soon as he hit the water, the storm stopped. You know what the Bible tells us about that? It said, Then those men greatly feared the Lord and vowed vows. You know what God did? He took the intentional disobedience of Jonah and He brought some pagan sailors to know Him and serve Him. Isn't that beautiful, Reuben? God can make good things come out of bad decisions, even if you've messed up even if you've made mistakes in the past and you've done things that were shameful to you and your family and hurtful, and even if that's happened, God can make good come out of those situations if we will persevere and stay faithful. The last thing I want to tell you is, although you cannot guarantee the journey, when you pick the right path, you can guarantee the destination. You can guarantee the results. Look at this Scripture. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. I'm sure you've heard this verse talked on before. It doesn't say only good things are going to happen. What it says is that once it's all over, you're going to look at that and you go, well, that was good. That was good. God is in charge. And when you follow His path, when you walk the path that He lays down, you're faithful in being the kind of man that your wife needs, or woman that your husband needs, or parent that your children need. When you do that, there may be rough roads, and there may be storms, and there may be times where you think the boat's going to sink, but it won't. If you'll be faithful, ultimately, God will see to it that good things come as a result of that. I hope that... Uh oh. Yeah, I hope that uh, you have been encouraged to think about the decisions that you make tonight. I want to tell you, as, as young families especially, you've got a, a noble task ahead of you. We need a generation of wise and powerful and godly young men and women. In case you hadn't noticed, 
our nation's not headed in a godly direction. And we're going to need some young folks with some serious spiritual strength to stand and lead people in this next generation. You've got a great task ahead of you. And I challenge you, I call you, don't ever let your constants change. You keep your priorities right, you check and see what God says about it, and you follow the direction of your authorities. Don't ever let those constants change. And finally, when you look at those variables, you be wise. You persevere. You don't ever give up. Just get your eye on the goal and don't ever quit. And the end result will be a godly decision that God will bless. If you have a spiritual matter that you need to bring before the church tonight, if you want the prayers of your brothers and sisters in the Lord to help you with some decisions you've got, or maybe you've made some bad decisions and you want to ask for prayer for forgiveness and help. Maybe you've got a big thing coming up and you need some counsel. We've got some elders here that can give you wise and godly counsel. If there's any way the church can assist you, we offer a song of invitation. If you'll come to the front while we stand and sing.